This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Congress brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. An Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. It has Jordan. Allen shakes three. Gets two! to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason Mann and joining me today is Chris Barnwell. He is a Harvard Paroxysm contributor, and he's also editor for At The Hive, uh, Shot Horns blog. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. And uh, we are going to talk about the top 50 greatest player case for Dwight Howard. Uh, he is 68th all-time in win shares, 42nd in win shares for 48, 71st in box score plus minus, 70th in value over replacement player. He has been named to five All-NBA first teams, uh, one second team, two third teams. Uh, he is a three-time defensive player of the year, four times an all-defensive first team, one time on the second team. Uh, he has three top 10 seasons of win shares for 48 and three top 10 seasons of value over placement player. Um, he is fifth all-time in effective field goal percentage. He is fourth in total rebound percentage, um, although I believe that that only goes back to the um, 70s or so, so it doesn't compare to some of the – doesn't include some of the historic players. Um, on, other top, on other top player rankings, he is 78th in the Bill Simmons Pyramid ranking out of 96 players, and in the Slam 500, he is 86. These rankings were done in 2010-2011, so they don't really account for the uh, last few seasons, which for most players doesn't really matter, but for Dwight, it actually might. So, um, so Chris, um, what's, uh, what do you think about the top 50 case for Dwight Howard? It's definitely a difficult one to make because, especially with the last few years and the back injury, and because of his reputation just as a kind of an unlikable guy, it's really hard to get behind it because it's really easy to make a case for Shaq being like a top 50 player besides the fact that he was as dominant as he was because everyone liked Shaq as a player. Well, Dwight Howard, is just, he's kind of a – well, he's, no one really likes him very much. So Yeah, well, well, but, to be well, fair, Kobe didn't really like Shaq very much. but <laughs> Kobe was like the only one, I think. I don't. Dwight Howard might have not like Shaq. Yeah, Dwight. We didn't. Yeah, uh, Dwight didn't care much for Shaq. Uh, but but yeah, I, I I certainly get your point. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are 
some strengths in his case. He is one of the best defenders of his era. And he also had the challenge. You know, there are going to be people who say, well, you know, he didn't necessarily like play in an era with a lot of great big men, but he has to defend more versatile big men. And he has to, you know, go around the court and defend smaller players and is expected to, um, play in a more sophisticated era where he has to cover more ground and defense. Um, He's kind of in a weird era where he was a transition big man in a situation where we were going away from the whole Kendrick Perkins style of just be really big and really strong and get in their way. So you need to be mobile fast and be able to cover a lot of ground quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, um, terrific pick and roll scorer. Um, and, uh, you know, he also was the, you know, important player, uh, you know, the most important player for a team that made the finals. You know, he, he certainly had, has had success, um, uh, not won championships, but has had playoff success. And um, you can make the argument he should have been an MVP one year. Right. Yeah. He finished third, I believe, that year. And yeah, he absolutely had a very strong case to be MVP. Um, so. You know, I do think that there, there, there certainly is a case. It is um, if he had been that same Orlando player the last three or four years, um, it would be a stronger case. Um, but he, I think he still he has he he was very good for quite a long time, and and you know his career is obviously not over. He's only twenty nine. I mean, he could he could possibly uh come back and still be you know have another you know few good years in him to um add to his case he's definitely uh, you know obviously being a player who's still current and you know he's one of the few players who we're considering who really can do a lot more for their legacy um but even at this point i do think he's definitely worth considering Definitely. I mean, it, with him, you really have to look at the pre-back injury or basically, I guess, pre-2011-2012 season to really kind of get a good gauge on his career. Like, you have to look at the Orlando years, and then when you get to the back injury, you have to look at him again and say, well, how much do we consider the previous years when he was as good, and how much do we take away because of the back injury and uh, toxic situation with the Lakers and then moving with the new team in Houston? How much of that do you have to take into consideration and take away from his good years? Yeah, uh, and even you know, even in the last few years, I mean, they they they've been bad by a certain standard. But his team they've been is, bad by his standard, which right. if you go to like a normal standard, it'd be he's been perfectly fine. Right. Yeah. E- exactly. And um, you know, there are other players who have you know who have ridden and other big men, frankly, who have ridden you know in elite six seven years and then merely been good for. A long time. I mean, honestly, Moses Malone has, um, you know, really had six or seven really, really strong seasons, and then was, you know, pretty good to average for most of the rest of his career. And you know, I mean, if Dwight accomplishes that, that 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 makes it interesting. You know, um, I, looking sort of at some of the deeper uh, stats for him, if you kind of compare to his era uh, position. Um, 
so, so big men of his era. He is uh, seventh in points per 36, uh, fourth in rebounds per 36, 30th in blocks per 36, uh, first in value over placement player, first in defensive win shares, second in win shares for 48. Um, if you look at how he rates among his position all time, uh, 35th in points per 36, 26th in rebounds per 36, 81st in block per 36, which is lower than I would have expected for for Dwight to, in, in blocks, uh, 15th in value of replacement player, 13th in defensive win shares, 11th in uh, win shares per 48. So, um, you know, str- certainly strong numbers, um, but I do think the thing for him that's going to be tough is he's obviously been a very effective player, but he is, you know, he, he's at the position where it's not merely enough to be really good for a number of, for, for a few seasons to be lead for a few seasons. I mean, we're talking about guys like Russell, like Kareem, like Duncan, like Wilt, who, you know, dominated the league for a long time and just forever. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and have tremendous longevity too. Um, you know, we're, we're dominant for more than a decade and lasted the league, you know, Kareem's case for 20 years. So, And even look at, like, his everyone's favorite comparison with him, which really, in my opinion, is a terrible one, is uh, him and Shaq. And Shaq was good for probably a good decade and a half while, Dwight had, while Dwight's reign is more of a five-year really great play, level of play. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's that. You know, I, 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 I sort of... Um, you know, I, I kind of think about where to sort of put him um, among the, the the tiers of big men. I mean, is he like, you know, is, is he in that that second tier where, you know, where I would put somebody like, you know, David Robinson, um, Hakeem Moses, Bob Pettit, Artis Gilmore, um, or is he in the third tier with, you know, someone like, you know, Ewing or Unseld or Willis Reed or Robert Parrish? Um, uh, or you know, Nate Thurmond, like I, I, maybe sort of in between those guys. I it, it's it's hard to kind of see where, um, exactly he fits in. I guess it really depends on how much you value what he was able to do, um, defensively. I mean, you know, one one thing about defensively is you know those Orlando teams, he was not necessarily surrounded by the best defensive players. Jameer Nelson, Courtney Lee. Uh oh my goodness! Who was the shooting guard? Someone named shooting guard that I can't remember at this moment. Rashard Lewis. Yeah. That that was his two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Turkaloo. That was his two thousand nine team. He took to the playoffs behind defensive three point shooting. Like yeah. And, and Courtney Lee's that's probably insane. the only Courtney Lee's probably the only plus defender out of those those guys. You know. And he was a rookie, which means he didn't even know defense that well. Sure. <laughs> like I. His defense is shockingly – it's really dumb to say this, but it's – I feel like it's kind of true. It's almost underrated – an underrated part of his career because just – I don't think we had seen anyone that dominant during his time period as a player. Like the three straight defense – the three straight defensive player of the year awards, when was the last time that had happened before him? It was like Dikembe Mutombo or someone like that, right? Yeah, uh, Ben Wallace. I don't know if he had three in a row, but he, he won four. Um but but they were obviously split, you know, uh, among years and Dikembe as well. But you know those guys weren't asked to carry the burden on offense that Dwight was. I mean, no, at all. And everyone's going to immediately go, "Well, he has no post game, or he really can't score," which is a ridiculous assertion, by the way. Because first, if we're going to go into the post game thing, you have to look at his career before Stan Van Gundy got there. 
when the big criticism against him was that he wasn't good enough on defense. He was this overpowering, gigantic big man down low that could score. He didn't st- he didn't score in a pretty way, by the way, but he scored. And he couldn't really do great on defense. Dan Van Gundy comes along, turns him into this elite defender, and still the same level of score. And But everyone's all mad because he's not Shaq's overpoweringness or Hakeem's uh, beautiful post moves. Like He looks, he looks very ugly on offense, but it worked. I want to say in 2010, which is arguably the Magic's best team they ever had under him, when he had NF... He had a... Let me look it up. Let's... Got it right here. He had a where is it? True shooting percentage. Sorry, he had a sixty-three percent true shooting percentage. I'm uh, sorry, sixty-one percent true shooting percentage with twenty-two points per game. With like, that kind of efficiency, just doesn't happen, even for big men. That is not something people are able to do, and it's really frustrating because everyone's like, "Well, his post game still isn't that good, and he still can't score." Like, where well, you can't give him the ball and score. Yeah, you could. He doesn't score in the traditional way of backyard man down for four, five, ten seconds. Like, the only guys who do that anymore is Al Jefferson. He was really good at coming off the screen, grabbing the ball, one, two quick moves, get it up. That was his bread and butter in Orlando as far as the post goes. He doesn't, and he was so good at that. And it's just crazy to say he's underrated in any way, but that's, he was. Yeah, and I mean, and he's, you know, he's not doing that just on a few shots a game. I mean, he's taking, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 shots a game, averaging that, you know, in uh, during that time in Orlando. So he's, yeah, I mean, he's a focal part of the offense. He's not just, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I agree that it is not necessarily, he, he never really developed a refined offensive game for, for the most part. I mean, you know, he, he does have some post moves. Um I mean, he can do some things. He he had some touch and something. It, it wasn't pretty, but it was certainly effective. You know, he he could score. You could, you know, get in the ball and um, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, you're not going to necessarily turn into White Howard for the final shot. But you know, how many big men in the league are historically have really been like the final shot of the game type guys? I mean, that outside of the '90s when they had a defense that allowed you to do that, I mean, never. Yeah, I mean, you're still, but yeah, but they, you know, still you're going to Jordan, you're going to your guard a lot to create that final shot because you know, you because bigs don't create their own shots that much. I mean, they they rely on on passes from the um, you you know, they, they rely on passes from the guards. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you can they they could create in certain ways, but you know, you're it's still the last shot has traditionally been um, you know, brought in by a guard or a forward. It's it's not usually the the uh, domain of a big man. Yeah, completely agree. And like that's for whatever reason that gets used as a criticism against him. And again, I feel like this goes back to the fact that he's not just not a very likable person. Yeah. And it's really silly because I big men need the ball. <laughs> big men just don't dribble. They need the ball. They're sorry, he wasn't Hakeem. There are very few players that are Hakeem. Hakeem's one of the greatest to ever play this game. Sure. And even like, he, I would say, is a second tier on the second tier of, you know, NBA um big men for me, which is which is just incredible because of just how many great ones there are, you know. Agreed. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, you know, my thought is that Dwight, you know, I mean, um, there's a case there, but I do think that in it's gonna he's gonna run to a numbers game where there's just too many great big men who had long careers with of dominance who you know were part of some of the greatest teams ever, and he's just not gonna 
quite measure up to that standard unless he is able to have a second act in his career that's you know um incredible in the last couple of seasons last three seasons he's you know um slowed down dealt with injuries been effective in spurts looked like the old dwight in spurts but but clearly seems like you know that 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 outcome doesn't seem super likely if we're if he's ever going to get into that top 50 conversation you're going to have to put him in that category of well look at the impact he had on the game and you really can make that the argument that him and Tom Thibodeau are the guys that created the modern NBA defense right now of get your big man down low, get your big man that can defend the rim, use him as your last line of defense and your first line of defense, and then get everyone back, have that guy stay and grab rebounds. Just They kind of helped with that modern defense. And you can look at it, what he did on offense and changed like offense. Him and Stan Van Gundy basically changed offense for big men. Like Pick and roll is now the best way to use your big man in the offense in today's NBA. And everyone seeing Dwight Howard do that, like his impact, he might go down as maybe a third tier big man and not one of the greatest to ever play the game. Like when you list him against guys like Wilton, Bill and Hakeem, but that's okay because he probably impacted it more than a lot of those guys did. Okay. Maybe not more than the three I just mentioned, but a lot of guys right. that played. I, I, I get what you're saying. Yes. Um, yeah. I, you know, that, that's, um, that, that totally makes sense to me. Um, anything else you'd like to say about Dwight? Uh, he gave me some of my favorite basketball memories as an Orlando Magic fan and some of my worst. <laughs> <laughs> Any in particular that are, are your best? The best has to be the game-winning dunk against the Spurs on the alley-oop play. Oh, that's right. I remember that. That was great. Had never seen that before. Yeah. Ever. And then, of course, the finals run in 2009. I still remember just being giddy over that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, it's weird because you know, at one point he was actually pretty well liked. I mean, it, it, it's, um, you know, for his first six years or so, um, you know, before it, he started really making it well known that he, you know, wasn't interested in staying in Orlando. Like it, people didn't really have a problem with him. I mean, I, you know, I guess he was always a goofball and he was always, you know, a little bit of a weirdo. But that didn't really feed into like his public persona that much. He was just kind of like a happy-go-lucky guy, and it was like, yeah, you know, he, he seems fine. Yeah, and then everyone kind of. He kind of bought into it a little too much with, uh, like, he can appreciate a good fart joke if he wants, but, I mean, just no one needs to hear about it every single time, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you, you got to know gotta know when to hold him. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what's appropriate there. But anyway, uh, Chris, um, thank you so much for uh, being on the show, sharing uh, your thoughts and memories of Dwight Howard. Uh, very much appreciate it. Uh, is there anything um, – uh, anything you want to uh, mention to our uh, listeners about where they can find you or what you're up to? They can find me mainly on Twitter with my Twitter feed at Chris Barnwall at C-H-R-I-S-B-A-R-N-E-W-A-L-L. That's where you can mainly find me. And you can also find me on At The Hive and Hardwood Paroxysm where I'm usually writing a lot. Writing a lot. I have a post on At The Hive right now actually about Del Curry being the Hornets' first ever pick uh, for the – team and the expansion draft and kind of how they coexist in the wave in their past like del curry and the hornets kind of exist at the same time it's really interesting and then of course on hardwood paroxysm i have a post uh, right now about my sophomore crush aaron gordon cool cool all right well uh thanks everyone for uh checking us out and uh we'll keep doing uh, shows looking at uh, modern players and whether they are uh, top 50 candidates. We appreciate uh, any feedback on uh, on those or any other shows that we do. You can uh, find us on Twitter at Over and Back NBA. Uh, we're also on Facebook at Over and Back NBA. 
And um, you can also, we have a, a new uh, web forum that you could find at overandbacknba.com. Uh, and of course, you can find our podcast at harvardproxism.com. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. And until next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.